I thought John King was the map guy. Oh, he used to be the king. He used to be. But he got red wedding by Steve Kornacki. House Kornacki is... Made a strong play toward the iron board. I'm reading the second book right now, believe it or not, Maze. Is it Clash of Kings, maybe? Oh, you're reading Game of Thrones. Oh, fuck, man. Yeah. It's a little late, but it's all good. No, it's not late. It's actually better. I have a whole theory about this. You're better off seeing the adaptation first, then reading the book, because then it's like, oh, shit, this is so much better. Because I made the mistake of reading Jurassic Park before I saw Jurassic Park. So when I read it, I was like, oh, my God, this is about to be the greatest movie ever. And while everyone was blown away by Jurassic Park at the time, I was like, meh, because like it omitted so much, so many scenes. Forget the details. That's interesting. I can see how you could get there. But when it's done well, you'd rather have read the book before because then you get it. Oh, like the comic books? If you just walk into Lord of Rings for the first time and... You hear all the names, and my dad just talks about these movies like, and then now we go to the bloody blah of bloody blah. And he has no idea what anybody's name is or what any of the places are. Huh. And he just sees it happen. But if you already know all the names and you already know right. where everybody's going, then you get to appreciate it a bit more. I could see that. Like, I th- thought about that, like, in terms of like the Marvel movies, because, like, whenever they mention stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's so-and-so, of course, you know? Well, that's what's happening with Book of Boba and Mando for you. Wait, can we talk about something that I know about? You don't watch Marvel movies? Game of Thrones. Back to Game of Thrones for Tom. Tom's in book two of Game of Thrones. So what I like about it is that you can actually see in your head the characters that they're talking about because you have a reference point from the show. So when Theon Greyjoy is talking to so-and-so, you're like, oh, I can like see it. Whereas if I hadn't watched the, the show yet, I feel like it'd be almost impossible to keep up with all the different characters because you don't have a visual on any of them. It's working the same way, but picture first. Yeah. You know what I realized? Just I was playing Spider-Man, the video game, and J. Jonah Jameson on the video game is voiced by J.K. Simmons who, of course, did J. Jonah Jameson in the old Spider-Man movies and does it in the new ones, too. And I realized, in my head, I can't remember what I thought J. Jonah Jameson sounded like before J.K. Simmons. And now I can't imagine. Because at first I was like, yo, J.K. sounds just like J. Jonah Jameson. I was like, wait a second. How the fuck do I know what J. Jonah Jameson sounds like? I was like, wait, is that what I imagined him to sound like? No, it couldn't have been. Then what did I imagine him to sound like? And I was like, I don't know. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh. That's Amin Al Hassan. I just got back from a run. That's right. I work out. I mean, and while I'm listening to my Pandora station, that's right. I mean, I'm too cheap to buy Spotify Premium. Yeah, I have Spotify Premium, but I only have the one account, and my daughter listens to it all day long to Disney songs. So I haven't laid down the law with my daughter about, you know, stealing the Spotify account. But anyway, I'm listening to Pandora. An ad pops up for McDonald's and it's Logan Roy pitching McDonald's. Have you heard this ad before? No, but as Logan Roy or just the actor who plays Logan Roy? The actor who plays Logan Roy. Okay. No, it's more than that. It's the crispy chicken sandwich from the makers of the world's most stolen fries. What the fuck? He ate my fucking chicken. Uh-huh. So what next? Stick his cock into my potato salad? Fuck off. Do you ever do this when you're watching TV and a character or an actor is playing a different character and, you're, and you keep thinking they're still in character and kind of connecting like a storyline to it, like a narrative of why Logan Roy is doing McDonald's ads? And in my head, I mean, I was like, oh, it's obvious that Kendall just did a deal with Burger King and Logan wants to just kill Burger King. So now he's just pitching McDonald's constantly. Like it is his blood vendetta to make sure that McDonald's kills Burger King because Kendall did something with Burger King. Yeah. Like for me, I was just talking about J.K. Simmons a second ago. Uh, J.K. Simmons to me, I was introduced to him through the HBO show Oz. He played Vern Schillinger, who was the Nazi, the neo-Nazi leader of the Aryan Brotherhood. 
super racist, but super funny guy, really, really funny and witty, uh, and murdered a bunch of people and, and was just an awful human being. And then every time I saw J.K. Simmons after that, I was like, no, that's that's Vern Schillinger, man. I can't fuck with him. Including when he was on Law and Order as the psychiatrist slash therapist or whatever. And I'm like, you can't take this man's word. He's an Aryan. But do you connect the storyline? Do you like, oh, in Oz, like what happens at, is this a postscript on his career is that now he's a therapist. Like that's a, that's a leap. Oh no, I don't, I don't think I do that. No. That's where I went. So yeah, I just got back and I still can't get this out of my head is uh, Chauncey Billups going nuts and saying kind of unprovoked. He would, he was asked at a press conference before facing uh, Kyrie Irving. Asked at a press conference, like, "Hey, what do you think about uh, Kyrie coming back? They make uh, does he make them better?" And he just launched into an impromptu speech about how Kyrie is the most skilled point guard of all time that he's ever seen. He said Kyrie is just he's a wizard, man. This is from Nick Friedel, our guy Nick from ESPN.com. Phillips said before the Blazers win over the Nets on Monday night, quote, he's must-see TV. I personally think as somebody that played the position, qualifier, I think Kyrie's the most skilled player that's ever played that position. Just straight skill, nothing else. Just straight skill. I think he's the best that I've ever seen at that position skill-wise. So obviously he gives you a ton when he's playing. His shot making is incredible. He's a better passer than people give him credit for. He's obviously a willing teammate. He's not just all about Kyrie. He passes the ball. He's a champion. He brings championship pedigree to the table. I think he maybe hit the biggest shot that I ever seen in an NBA Finals history. So he brings all of those things, you know, and now without him, what a luxury. You still have two guys and James Harden and Kevin Durant that have been the MVP in this game and have carried teams a long, long way. So they do a really good job of playing well together when they're all three together. They know how to delegate their roles as good as anybody that I've seen. So it's a very unique situation. Obviously, they're figuring it out. First thing that popped into my head was, yeah, how are you going to do Dame like that? Like here we have your, your franchise point guard who's out with an abdominal strain Who's sitting here? You you could have just said, "Man, he's he definitely makes them better," and I'm I'm curious to see how we play against him. It's going to be a tough matchup for us. But I mean, he went like way in on this, seemingly out of nowhere. The first thing I thought of was like, "Huh, look at the world embrace what Amin said two years ago." Oh God, of course. Look, this I'm is just where saying. You're gonna go. You're, this is where you're going to go with this. I said it on the jump in 2019. I said he's the most skilled. I didn't say point guard. He's the most skilled player in the history of basketball. The most skilled. Not the best. Not the not the, the toughest, the greatest winner, the the best at his position. Matter of fact, there are like maybe three or four people at his position I take over him. But in terms of skill, like things that you go into a basketball gym to work on, I said he is he is number one. And and I say that without much hesitation to be honest with you. By the way, Dame is also one of those players that I would absolutely take over Kyrie. Because to me, it's like, there's there's levels to it. I think skill is one component. Talent is another component. Like, there's some people that can work all day long and not be talented. There's some people who are skilled and not talented. Where is Steph Curry in this for you? Like, why isn't he, I mean, unanimous MVP. He's not a big leaper. He's not a... You're talking about a better player at this point. You're not talking about a more skilled player. <laughs> but to become that good in this game is an incredible amount of skill. To shoot mm-hmm. from that distance, off the mm-hmm. dribble, off the pass, finish at a higher rate than Kyrie Irving with not mm-hmm. a hu- not a vert or uh, shiftiness more than Kyrie Irving. I don't understand... Yeah. The argument for Kyrie Irving versus Stephen Curry, who's reached greater heights and is not more athletic. When you start saying reach greater heights, he's not less athletic either. Like, let's start there. But I'm saying the same. I mean, if you want. No, but, but I'm just saying, like, when you say it like that, you're acting like Kyrie's Russell Westbrook or you're insinuating that that, that Kyrie's a, an athletic specimen, which, you know, I think him and Steph are both better athletes than people give them credit for. I think because so this is this is the way I look at it. There's five. I don't even know if you okay. You're not frozen. Your hand is just held up. Yeah, <laughs> just doing those two guys. Yeah. yeah, there's five, five different elements or components. Number one is talent, right? Doesn't matter how hard you work. If you're not talented, you're not going to be good, right. Number two is skill. These aren't ranked. I'm just saying, kind of whatever. Number two is skill. That's the stuff that when you go into a gym, 
where you go with our guy, uh, Brandon Payne, and you work on specific things, right? Number three is uh, competitive nature or desire, right? Like the desire, do I want it worse than anything? I'll step on my grandma or whatever. Number four is athleticism or body. Now that could be explosion like a Russell Westbrook, but it could also be in things like what Steph and, and Kyrie and I think Steve Nash all have, which is incredible core strength, incredible balance, uh, those sorts of things, right? La- lateral uh, quickness. And then number five is IQ. Not just knowing what to do, but the decision-making to know when to do it, right? For me, athleticism, him and Kyrie, Steph and Kyrie are... I'd say a wash. A wash, right? Like, Kyrie's a little bit more stout. I think Steph is a little faster and, and has better stamina. I would also say I feel like Kyrie just kind of wakes up and goes and shoots all day and and work goes to the gym whereas i think steph like actually lifts i don't i don't see Kyrie like lifting i think he does lift i i, I seem to remember hearing people talk about him lift but but the point point being like i i if there's one thing that i would say oh steph has that on Kyrie, it's, it's stamina right like his ability what to are, wait wait you're not putting shooting in that category i'm talking about fucking athleticism okay all right, we're all going right. through the five fucking things god damn it man sorry sorry competitive desire that's really hard to measure. I think we can me- we can say the guys who have it versus the guys who don't. But in terms of like he's got more competitive desire than him, I never liked that because like what's your fucking metric there? So I'll say that's a wash too. Talent. Steph is the son of a former NBA player, right? A former long term NBA player. Kyrie is the son of a former professional basketball player. They both came to the table with more than the average human being when it comes to like how much of the game is already in their DNA, right? And again, this is one of those things where, you know, I, I, you just have it, right? God-given talent, they got it, right? IQ and skill are the last two things. So to me, let's, let's focus on skill because that's the thing that we're, we're talking about. To me, Kyrie is a better ball handler and a more diverse finisher. So in the same way that um, Shaquille O'Neal is way more efficient in the restricted area than Tim Duncan is. But I think we recognize that Tim Duncan has a vaster arsenal of ways to finish at a high level way more than Shaq does. And as a result, even as we can say numerically Shaq is a better finisher, we understand that Tim Duncan's got more. He's just got more. And given that he's not bad at finishing either, we can, I can say he's a better finisher. He's using his skill more to get to those points, more so yes. than the brute force of Shaq. Sure, in that, in that particular example, right? So when, when we take a look at Kyrie versus Steph, I would say Steph's pack, I mean, uh, Kyrie's arsenal is packaged of different ways to finish, particularly under duress, over, over height, over bigger defenders uh, in tight spaces. He is superior to Steph in that. Steph is obviously a superior shooter, but that also doesn't, much as these are both two-way streets, just like, I'm not saying Steph can't finish, I'm just saying Kyrie has a vaster array of finishes, but Steph's a great finisher too. Similarly. Steph's a much better shooter than Kyrie, but Kyrie is a fucking amazing shooter, right? Passing, I think they're fairly similar in their Mm -hmm. ability to make the plays, particularly like the tight squeezes, the accuracy, the touch, the angles, all that stuff. So then it's like, well, how is it? I mean, you could say this, it seems really close in most of these categories. How does Steph end up being a much better player? To me, it's the IQ. That's that's the part that sets him apart. I'm not saying Kyrie's a dumb player, but it does me no good for you to be a basketball genius or a basketball savant and to make wrong decisions. Steph makes right decisions. 
Kyrie makes some right decisions, nowhere near as many as Steph or as Dame or as Chris Paul or like, and the list goes on of other guards I'd rather have than Kyrie or Harden, if we're going to call him a, a, a point guard. And that's, I think, the part where the gap is. But in terms of if we melt away all the other shit, I'm just talking about dribble, pass, shoot, footwork, finishes, being able to finish off the wrong leg, wrong, wrong hands, all those stuff. There's nobody who's mastered all that stuff. Here's another thing that Steph can't do that Kyrie can do. Post up. When have you ever seen Steph take someone on the block? I'm not saying he should, but I'm saying I don't think that's in his repertoire in a way that Kyrie takes bigger players on the block and will outskill them to score with his footwork, with his finishing, with his ability to finish with either hand. And those are the things we talk about when we say the most skilled. And and because I, I don't think most of you think when you say most skilled, that means he's the best. But a lack and a last, you could be incredibly skilled and have like no less than four, maybe more guards at your position. Forget about other players, just guards at your position who are better than you. So I think Steph Steph's package as a shooter, and I say package the same way that Kyrie has a package around the rim. I think Steph's package as a shooter is more than enough for me to put him above Kyrie Irving in terms of skill. I think his gap as a shooter and the way he gets his shots, how off balanced he is, the creativity with those shots and the package, the entire package of him getting his shot off and doing it at a high rate. And this is important here because I think Kyrie Irving, he gets blocked more often. He probably bites off more than he can chew more often around the rim and Stephen Curry, while he doesn't have the same volume as Kyrie Irving does, I think a lot of the skill is performative skill in the sense that it doesn't get the end result that you desire every time. It looks fucking, it looks amazing. You know what you're describing? You're describing IQ. You're not describing skill. But you have to put the ball in the basket, I mean. No, I, I, I get it. You can Houdini all you want, I but know. if you can't actually put, succeed in what you're that's doing. The, that's the skill. That's the skill. The IQ is, does this Houdini shit work best right now or should I just go with a regular fucking layup? That's the, that's the IQ. That's where Steph is miles ahead of him. Then I think about the gif of the dude who's just dribbling through his legs, pounding the ball through his legs a hundred times and then throwing it in the sky and it's just disgusting. It's just like, what, what are we talking about here? Before we embarked in this conversation, I, that's what I was going with. It's like, you ever see the guys at halftime that do all the dribbling stuff and da 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 but they'll never be in the NBA. Why? Because they don't have any of the other parts. They don't have the the IQ. They don't have the body. They don't have. They probably don't have the competitive desire. And they, and many times they don't even have the talent. They, like beyond, I can dribble really well, or you know, like I could do the globetrotter shit, or I can like lay it up by like putting on my nose and like a seal, right? All of those things. Hey, I'm not going to sit here and say that's not a skill because that is an incredibly difficult thing that you have to work and train at to be able to do. But the part where you figure out this ain't the time to do that, that's not skill. That's IQ. That's a different bucket. And that's why so many players can be better than Kyrie as players because ultimately they have a better, they, a better judgment of what to do and when to do it. Yeah, see, I, I don't buy that. What you described about Steph is the basic, same thing I said about Shaq. It's like, okay, no one's going to dunk it as much as Shaq, right? It's just it's not possible to go at that volume right but the idea is how many different let's say for a second that we just outlawed this how many other things can you do and for me Kyrie checks more boxes because we talk about most skilled i'm not talking about oh i can i be dominant at one skill and it can wash over all of my other things that i'm not as dominant at no i'm talking about how many different boxes can you check and Kyrie, to me, checks the most boxes out of any player. So if we're going to move on from that, just your pure rank and your persuasion of Kyrie Irving as the, as the most skilled player ever, I still think this is a weird comment by Chauncey. <laughs> oh, yeah, because he got Dame, yeah. Yeah, because he's got Dame. And he's trying, to, he's trying to win over, not win over Dame, but it's, it's, it's a relationship that's still forming. Sure. His first year on the job with Damian Lillard, and Damian's not playing. And it's not just that Chauncey Billups said, "Hey, man, I, I think the world of Kyrie Irving. I'm excited to play against him tonight." 
Yeah, he gushed. He brought out the rose petals and put them down on the ground and he put incense in the air and just like basically wrote a love letter. Unprovoked. It wasn't even a question of, do you think he's the most skilled player ever? It was, I'm going to take this bait and I am going to go launch into a speech about Kyrie Irving because I want this out there about Kyrie. I'm pulling up the exact quote because I love the semantics in it because I feel like anytime you say something like this, if you're not being super sloppy or you just don't give a fuck, there's a ton of semantics. So this is the same thing with pure score. I think what he's doing with Kyrie is the same thing that people say about pure score. Mm-hmm. KD is the best pure scorer in the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. Is is almost a backhanded compliment. Yep. Okay. So listen, Kyrie is just, he's a wizard, man. Again, he's a net. I don't know why he said that. Ha ha ha. He said, he's must-see TV. Now that's must-see TV. NBC premiere Thursday next week. I personally think, as somebody who played the position, I think Kyrie's the most skilled that's ever played that position. Just straight skill, nothing else, yep. just straight skill. Mm. I think he's the best I've ever seen at that position skill-wise, right? He is hammering home the point. This is not the best point guard I've seen on uh, in basketball or even in basketball right now or the best winner or the guy I want to build around or any of that stuff. He's just, he's making it painfully obvious. I'm just talking about skill. I'm just talking about skill. And I think if I'm having a private moment with Damian Lillard, I'm Chauncey Billups. It's like, you, you almost, yeah, you, you tell him like, yeah, he's more skilled. You're way fucking better though. Yep. A better leader, a better competitor, higher IQ in terms of what we talked about, like knowing, when to do it and when to turn on the show. I, uh, I think in terms of um, fitting into a team concept, you're better yep. at that too. Yep. I think obviously he's a bigger player. He's more explosive than Kyrie. Quickness, you know, first step, hops, vertical hops. And while he's not as overall skilled, the shit he is skilled at, he's really skilled at, and he tends to stick to that. He doesn't stray outside of the strengths, which again, that's some might take that as a like, oh, yeah, you could only think you could like it's a shot. Oh, you can do is dunk. Oh yeah, stop it. Stop. If all I can do is this, then come here and stop me. You know, to me, like it's not even close. <laughs> what, what this says is that you don't think Kyrie's dad is any good at basketball. Why did I say that? That's what it comes down to. What's that? If he's like talent is natural ability, right? Uh-huh. Given genetic ability, like he hit the genetic lottery of his father mm-hmm. is an MB or a professional basketball player in the same way that Dell, I think, is on another level than Kyrie's father. But skill is that gap between talent, talent, ability. If you have a, a meter and it's just here is out of 100 points, he has 99 ability. How much of that is just God given talent? How much of that is skill? Skill. You're man. basically saying that that Kyrie's natural born talent is not in the same ballpark as as Del Curry or his as Steph Curry with his father being Delbert. I no, I wouldn't say that because I think I think you achieve what you achieve. That's a lot of talent to be it's it, and to me it just seems, it seems like what you're describing is a guy who has almost no god-given talent. No, 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 no. And no. has achieved where he is based on skill. I think you're 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 mixing it up because talent doesn't mean necessarily inherited talent. Steve Nash's dad was a soccer player. Does that mean he had he's talentless and he just worked himself to where he was? No. Steve Nash came in obviously with an aptitude for basketball. That wherever it came from, he had it in him. That's the thing, that's the stuff you're born with. Skill is the shit that you what now you've taken that talent, you've gone and you worked on it in a gym somewhere and refined yourself. Can I interject for a minute with a comparison to try to separate skill and talent a little bit, which they're so close. In fact, skill is in the definition of talent. I'm good at math. I've always been pretty good at math. I was good at learning how to do addition and subtraction and all that. And then I hit a wall once I got into theoretical math, advanced research math, where my natural talent ran out and I did not have the skills to progress. Because you hadn't been refining them. Someone who finished that degree would have had more expertise and mastery of math right? to get them to that point that I did not have. Exactly. But then the other thing about this whole argument is that you guys are debating 
different skills. There's skill, but it's really skills. Yes. It's all of the skills. That's what I'm saying. The check boxes. The whole like IQ thing, I think, is a subset of skill. I don't. Your decision making and your ability to assess the information in front of you, I think, is a very, very important skill as a basketball player. But I'm putting that. He's taking that in another bucket. It's so important. It's its own thing. It's its own bucket. Exactly. I think about, I saw Miles Swift. We signed him to a 10-day. But that's skill, like that's like that's something that I think players hone in on. <laughs> I love that in a conversation about Kyrie Irving's skills, you bring up Stromal Swift. Stromal Swift, no, because Stromal Swift is a great example. Of- you brought yourself up, okay, Maze? You brought yourself up and your math. So I was trying to make it more relatable to the people. So Stromal Swift, we sign him, and in practice, I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? crossover, step back, spin back, fall away, shooting threes. He plays like Kevin Durant. Put him in a basketball game. Can't catch. Looks lumbering and kind of like dopey and like, like, a, like a stiff pig. And what it is is he's amazingly skilled, but it just doesn't translate onto the court for whatever reason. It never translated for him. He wasn't able to do the things that he could do in a practice setting, in a in a setting where there are no stakes and there are no repercussions, right? If we're just going through drills, he's doing them. He's got it, right? And that's why I say, like, man, the IQ thing is a different, it's a different thing. It's a different beast because there are so many people in the NBA right now. That's why I think, by the way, that's my assertion about basketball in general i think nba players today are more skilled overall than ever in the history of basketball the average nba player today can do so much more than the one from the even from the 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 80s or whatever but the players 30 40 years ago were smarter about the game on average so you, you took your average nba player and you say hey go out there play with these guys and say, put them on the Warriors, because that's probably the, the highest IQ offense that we have in the league. Put them on the Warriors. The average NBA player from the 80s, I think, could figure it out. A couple of, oh, I get it. All right. And moving without the ball and all that stuff. Whereas the average player today is like, oh, it's my turn? Okay, now I'm going to cross stream, cross stream, step back. Da, 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 like, <laughs> and then, okay, now it's your turn, right? Yeah. And then they stand still. They don't move because they don't know what they're doing, right? Are there exceptions? Obviously. I'm not saying there's like three players who know what they're doing and everybody else is a fucking moron. So I say it's the average, right? But the idea is that as, and this all comes, it's not in a vacuum, right? It comes from as parents have become more and more kind of like really geared to, I got to set my son up for the future or whatever. There's more focus on skills training. They hire these skills trainers. So these kids are very, we've all seen it. The 10-year-old who's shooting three-pointers, who's crossing over, could dribble with either hand, da, da, da. But it's like what they're missing out is, is playing within a controlled environment where someone is saying, no, no, give up the ball, move. If the ball's coming your way, you start to move too so that you guys aren't fucking up the spacing. Like those are the things that aren't happening that happened 30, 40 years ago where these kids were going to playgrounds and would learn from the OGs who would tell them, this is how you do it. This is what you do. And I think that is a, a huge thing in basketball. I know this is like a largely philosophical conversation, but it's one of the things I feel very strongly about as I watch the game. And that's why I say, when people say, why doesn't everyone play like Golden State? Well, it's hard because you have to have A, two to three really good passers, right? Like guys who not only know how to pass, but know when to pass, know where to pass. Mm. And then everybody else, has to know I can't stand still and I have to move in these pre-described routes on the floor, not just running anywhere. Ball's here, I'm going this way, that way, back around, right? And we've seen players go play Gold State and not understand it. And we've seen other players who people are like kind of written off, like an auto porter. I'm like, holy shit, this guy's good. Well, is he good or is he finally in a system that kind of Speaks to gets the most out of yeah a player like him right. Auto Porter's played really well. Put Auto Porter on the Lakers. You think they're singing his praises like they are in Golden State right now? Mm. 
He's just another guy. I think Kent Bazemore is is an example of someone who like worked in the Warrior system, and then you put him in Lakerland, and they can't stand the guy. The guy, Steve Nash, um, chimed in. He said, "Yeah, it's hard to argue with uh, Chauncey Billups' take. Keep in mind, Steve Nash." was a coach on the Warriors staff and was largely working with Steph Curry in Golden State for several years. And I think Steph has said he's modeled his game after Steve Nash many times. Anyway, he says, there's others in the conversation. Obviously, Steph Curry is incredibly skilled, but just so deadly from long range in a variety of ways. But as far as the ball handling, the movement, getting to his spots and shooting at all three levels around the rim. Kyrie is off the charts, getting to the mid range. He's off the charts and he's excellent from deep as well. Like what he's saying is the same thing you're saying is that he has a variety of ways that he can kill you with the ball. My point is Stephen Curry has a variety of ways he can kill you and he kills you quicker and better and more efficiently. But you're saying horizontally like he has a lot more different things in his buffet of moves than Steph does I just think Steph it's a combination of his breadth and his aptitude so we're not we're not talking about jack of all trades master of none right he's a master of many trades Kyrie is Steph is better is a bitter master a higher master at some of those trades but I think overall if you're scoring you're saying Kyrie's better at him at a lot more of those things Another player that I think is um, interesting here in this conversation of uh, talent and skill, Amin. Hassan Whiteside. <laughs> that, that clip was so Hassan Whiteside, where he was just like, oh, come on. Oh, oh like, oh, like, oh, just pointing at different people. Like, man, I totally forgot. I got to play defense. Oh, my God. Hassan Whiteside. Man, bless his heart. Um, but I, I want to talk about this other person who has entered, I mean, the MVP conversation, Fred Van Vliet. Oh Lord. Fred Van Vliet has been waiting outside the bar where the MVP conversation has been happening. Steph Curry's at the bar. Nikola Jokic is at the bar. Giannis Antetokounmpo is at the bar. The MVP conversation is happening inside. And Fred Van Vliet can't even get in the VIP line to get into the club. He can't. He's been waiting outside in that long-ass line with the regular folks forever. And he finally got in the conversation. This guy wasn't drafted. And now he's on a tear. Over his last 10 games, Fred Van Vliet is averaging 27.4 points. 7.7 assists, and just 1.5 turnovers per game. The Raptors are currently carrying a six-game win streak into a matchup with the Suns tonight, so this is probably coming out after that game. But, I mean, the thing that jumps out to me about Fred VanVleet, beyond the undrafted, beyond how well he performed in the 2016 NBA Finals, or, sorry, the 2019 NBA Finals, is that this dude is so skilled that he has 1.5 turnovers. That's insane. Skill is part of it. The other part of it is IQ, what he tries to do. I, I, when I was working for the Suns, I came up with this term, the gunslinger's dilemma. If I'm going into a gunfight and all I got is a six-shooter, guess what happens when the guns draw? What, what am I going to draw out? The six-shooter. I don't, what else do I have? If I go into a fight and I've got a six-shooter and I got a Glock semi-automatic, and I also have a like a long like sniper rifle, and I got a, a machine gun, a like an a- AR-15, and I also have a bazooka, and I also have a crossbow. Like think of someone playing, uh, what's the name of that game? Uh, the Last of Us. Like you got the backpack with all this stuff. You go into a gunfight, you're like, which one of these am I taking? There's a decision that I have to make that the guy with one gun does not have to make. Just go, click, click, bang. Sam, Sam Hinkie has a a, uh, a closet full of one colored suit. What is it? Barack does the same. Mm-hmm. No, no. Uh, uh, what's his name? It's it's Steve Jobs. It's uh, this. I Maze knows this because I explain why I don't I don't care about birthdays because it's one less thing that I have to worry about. Like Steve Jobs wore the same thing that black turtleneck and jeans. Decision fatigue. Exactly. Decision fatigue. 
I got to make so many decisions in my life. I have to simplify what I can. And so I'm just going to wear this turtle, black turtleneck sweater and some jeans and I am good to go. So you're saying Fred Van Vliet has got a, tur- a black turtleneck. I, I, I think he's, he's absolutely skilled. The, don't make the scene. I'm not saying he's skilled, but I'm saying when you say one and a half turnovers, it's not because of his mastery of the skill level. He's, he's, he's skilled, but it's also because he knows not what not to try, right? And to, to tie it back to our conversation about Kyrie earlier, I think the biggest thing is when you're as skilled as Kyrie, what does a, mm, that looks like a not try situation, what does that look like to him? They all look the same. Like, I can do anything. And that often gets him into trouble because he has a supreme confidence in his ability to do everything, whereas a less skilled player, or a, excuse me, a player with, a less breadth of skill can automatically eliminate some things that I'm not going to try to do. Oh, there's a seven footer in there and I got a six, eight guy on me. You know what? Maybe I'll like pass it act and try to move off ball and shake this guy off me and try to get a better look. Whereas Kyrie's like, this guy can't guard me. Oh, there's a tall guy. I'll fucking float it right above him. I've done it a million times. Look at my percentages. I'm actually really good at it. So it's, it's, it's like it, that ability in some ways can be counterproductive. When you're Fred Van Vliet, you don't have quite the breadth of skills that a Kyrie has. Uh, I would also say you don't have quite the mastery of any certain skill that Kyrie or Steph have. So you are way more likely to operate within the boundaries of what I can do. He is so good at finding space, the gaps in the defense and just pulling up and getting to his shot, not trying to do too much. I mean, that this is insane. Like I I had to look this up. I mean, he has a five assist to turnover ratio while averaging nearly 30 points, like averaging 27 and seven with just 1.5 turnovers. You're creating so much efficient offense while keeping mistakes to a minimum. I wondered, has any player in the StatHead database, going back to 1984, when turnovers began being fully tracked, uh-huh. has there ever been a player that ever scored and assisted that much over a 10-game sample and kept turnovers at 15 or fewer? The answer is, Amin, has anyone scored 274 points at least? 77 assists at least? and kept it turnovers to 15 or fewer over a 10-game span. God bless Stathead for adding this to their play, play index. It's amazing that they have this. There's never been a player who has done that. Here are the players that are closest if you just use those arbitrary endpoints of 274 points, 77 assists, and 15 or fewer. The closest one is Jimmy Butler. At the end of his Chicago Bulls tenure, he had 16 turnovers while having those numbers in the points and assists category. Gary Payton had 19 at one point in his career. Nikola Jokic had 20. The player that I thought would have one of these, who do you who do you think would have thought, you would have thought would have a, a span, a streak like this that Fred Van Vliet is on? Isaiah Thomas or Chris Paul? I was going to say Chris Paul. Chris Paul's best in having, like, did he have average 27 over a 10-game span with at least 77 assists? The fewest number of turnovers he had in that run is 23. LeBron's best is 22. Michael Jordan's best is 20, but he's scoring way more than 27 a game in his best 10-game stretch with 74 assists, whatever. So that's pretty fucking incredible with Fred Van Fred Vliet, undrafted, and I think a lot of people forgot about him coming into this year because Kyle Lowry's out of Toronto, and this is his year to shine, but Toronto has been playing amazing as of late, and Fred Van Vliet, has entered the MVP conversation. Can I give you my rebuttal? And in a cruel twist of fate, my rebuttal comes straight from the annals of none other than Tom Habistro's own opinions, which is you can pick any player in the league and come up with a statistical profile that literally has never been done before. It's true. It's true. I feel like I just got a taste of my own medicine. Yeah. Guys, you might be thinking, oh, me and you remember everything. I would, it would, I would take credit for that, except for the fact that Tom came up with this or said this yesterday. Yesterday in the group chat, Tom said, and I quote, because in reference to Emmanuel Quickly, who played 100th NBA game Saturday, is 221 of 245 on the free throw line. He's, uh, IQ is the only player in NBA history to attempt more than 200 free throws and shoot over 90% 
from the line over his first 100 career games. And Tom said, and I quote, this would be, this reminds me of a segment idea. God damn it. Amin gives me a random player and I have to come up with a stat that proves he's one of the greatest players of all time. I'm convinced you could do this for like 90% of NBA players. Yeah. Yeah. This is really looking bad for me. Isn't that like a little too niche? Say, oh, someone who scored 270 points and only 15 turnovers with only with 77 is like, it's just so, I don't know. Am I am I off here? I guess what we do in this industry is we go for hyperbole so that people can ha- can have this conversation. Like, remember what we talked about last week was was Ja Morant MVP week. Was that last week was Ja Morant MVP? Ja Morant an All Star, right? That was according to Desmond Bain. Is he an All Star? I don't know why people are complaining. And then this week maybe it's Fred Van Vliet, and this is Big Waz's favorite player in the league for good reason. Fred Van Vliet. God. Damn, five dudes? Oh my God, five dicks? Damn! Waz is probably the big, biggest Freddy fan I've, I've met ever. Loves that dude. And has been on that bandwagon since like day one anyway. Really? But I thought Hayward was his favorite. Oh, are you going to claim that you were on, you started that bandwagon? You colonized the, the Fred no, no, no. FVV island? I like Van Vliet, but like I, I wouldn't say I'm his, he's my favorite or anything like that. He's fifth right now, I mean, in estimated wins. Fifth, Fred Van Vliet. I think if you go on a conversation of top five point guards in the league, you're putting Kyrie where and where are you putting Fred Van Vliet? Because I got Steph number one. And I'm gonna say I'm gonna caveat this. Point guards I want on my team to win a championship. If I'm trying to win a championship, I'm not saying I, you know, um, I don't know, team to get me to 500 or team that I'm trying to build a franchise around for the next five years. I'm just saying today he's on my team and we're going to go win a championship. Here are the players I want on my team. Point guards. Okay. Steph Curry. You already forsaken your your Wake Forest brother. Yeah, he's number two. Chris Paul, number two. Number three, I got Luka. Number four, this one's tough. I put Dame in here, but he's injured. So I don't know how you feel about that. I would say we're, if we're ranking him, we're ranking him. We're not talking about who's hurting, who's not. I got Dame. I got Fred Van Vliet, John Morant, and Kyrie. Wow. Look how far down you get to go to John Morant. Okay. I'm going step one. Chris Paul, two. Dame, three. You put Dame above Luka Doncic. I have Luka. All right. I, I'm, not, I'm not putting James Harden in this, but I guess you could. But I'm just for the sake of argument, I'm not putting him there. I put Dame three. I put Ja four. Mm. And then Luka, Kyrie, Freddie. Do you have Drew Holiday, Mike Conley? No, just throwing out no. names here. Throwing out names for you. So you can filibuster. No. Donovan Mitchell's no. Kyle Lowry, no. Not at this stage. Trey Young, no. Ooh, Trey's Trey's in there too. Yeah, Trey. I'm saying he's not going to me ahead of Luca, who I have in mind for fifth. Yeah, Luca. Luca right now is my make me change my mind. Right, Ben Simmons. You know, you can't forget about him. Lamelo Ball. I think that might be it for the the guys who are even in the conversation. I guess it would be Luca, but. I'm willing to listen to arguments for <laughs> Trey Young, Ben Simmons, Kyrie, LaMelo Ball, Donovan Mitchell. These are the people I'm listening arguments for. Drew Holiday, Spencer Dinwiddie. Sorry, guys. Oh, come, on, come on, come on. The Cleveland people, Kyle Lowry. Are you doing the snub list for the snub list? Yeah, these are the people. Today. I couldn't even make my snub list. Where's where's Russell Westbrook on this list? Is he the snub list or is he the snub list of the snub list or is he the snub list of the snub list of the snub list? Every name I've named so far, I'm taking above Russell Westbrook. <laughs> is he a starting point guard in the NBA? Russell Westbrook? Yes. We just named 20 point guards. Steph, CP, Dame, Ja, Luca. And then I said the next level beyond Trey Young, Kyrie Irving, LaMelo Ball, Fred Van Vliet, Donovan Mitchell. Conley, I would take. The next group is Kyle Lowry, Spencer Dinwiddie, Drew Holiday. So, yes, yeah, so that's 14. <laughs> I feel like if you're between 15 and 20, I think that means you're a start, you're starting, starting point guard in today's NBA. There are 30 starting point guards. I know there's 30, but like if you're if you're at 25 to 30, I feel like there's there's a larger pool of players that could be considered on the fringe there. 
I don't know. It's kind of like it's kind of like the difference between the first player, best player in the league, and the three hundredth best player in the league is so much bigger than the gap between three hundred and six hundred. Like I feel like you could say starting caliber player for a lot more players. So there's like probably twenty players that I could say starter caliber on the fringe, and I think that's Russell Westbrook at this stage of his career. I think he's on the fringe of being a. a probably 15 to 25 point guard in the league. He's definitely a starter. And I think in a different setup, he's much better than what he is right now. Like we're seeing the worst version of however good he is right now. You put him in a different situation. He can be better and, and make a a team better, but you know, obviously not to the elite level anymore of what we expect out of a guy like that. Right, he laughed. He laughed and snickered, scoffed at Dave McMenamin, our friend at ESPN.com, asking Russell Westbrook. Russ, from a point guard's perspective, what do you make of that? Go ahead, Dave. Okay. I wanted to know what you made of John Moran's impact. Puts his head in his hands and then just kind of like shakes his head. This saltiness about like not being... A point guard anymore. LeBron's, he's not a point guard anymore in the league. Holy fuck. Yeah, it's dark, isn't it? Oh, I I didn't think, I thought it, you thought, and man, it was just like, oh, that's funny. Like in the locker or whatever, you know, just kind of like one of those passing. Like that was a very dramatic rub my face and like legit seemed sad. Yeah. It wasn't even like a, like a sneer. It was, I don't think I've ever seen sad Westbrook. Really sad. Like he he didn't like bark at him. It was more like yeah, just really upset about where he where he is in the in the Lakers ecosystem. You could tell how the why Dave froze and he was just like mm, okay, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dave's just like whoa shit, uh, my bad. I didn't mean to like trigger you there. Like that seemed like it really hurt. Yeah, you have to be told. To, yeah, no, go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. A- ask your ask your question. Damn, man. Wow, I feel bad for Russell Westbrook. But it's tough, man. Like we're saying, like playing alongside LeBron is not for everybody. It's not for everybody. And I'm not, and that's, and that's not a value judgment. It's like, oh, I thought you were good enough to play with LeBron. I guess you, I was wrong. No, it's like, it literally isn't for everybody. It's like having a family of six and buying like a Ferrari. That's not for everybody, right? Or, you know, uh, wanting to go out on a date on the town and driving a minivan. Again, it's not for everybody. Like it's, in a in a very real way, yeah, it really is. Like ever since the New Year or the last few games, LeBron James has taken over the reins as the the de facto point guard on this team. De facto, everything. I mean, center, leader, point guard, point center, LeBron. Like it seems like LeBron's had enough of this shit. I'm too old for this shit. He's just saying, you know what? I'm gonna play fucking center, and I'm gonna fucking score every time down the floor. Give me the ball, and I'm gonna run everything. I'm done with this shit, right? And over the last four games, Russell Westbrook has seen his potential assists. So I like to look at potential assists instead of actual assists because that takes away the, the variance, the luck involved of those players People making those shots. shots yeah. And it's a, probably a better barometer of you facilitating just looking at the potential assists on NBA.com slash stats. And his potential assists have fallen. Right now to the point where it's at 9.3. And LeBron James over that same span is 12.8. Russell Westbrook a few days ago had five potential assists the entire game against Sacramento. The entire game. This is a dude who a few weeks ago was like averaging 20 potential assists a game. Had five. So Russell Westbrook is at a point where I think he's lost a lot of confidence as a, as a role player role player on this team. Is I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, this is going to be really hard for Russell Westbrook. In the same way that I'm kind of like, LeBron, when he held these meetings in the offseason with DeMar DeRozan and Damian Lillard and Russell Westbrook and brought them to the house to sit down with Anthony Davis and talk about, hey, do you want to come play for the Lakers? Did he end up being like, I think Russ is going to be able to adjust to this better than those other two? The other thing is that I think Russ probably thought he would be able to adjust to it. That's what I said. It's like people always make it seem like, guys, I don't want to, you know, share the ball or whatever. I think players, by and large, want to do the right thing. It's just they find out 
that's just a lot harder than than I imagined, right? I thought I'd be able to stay in a rhythm without having the ball in my hands. Turns out I'm not. I'm not capable of doing it. It's very hard. And that's that's something that, you know, every player has to come to grips with. I, I remember, and it's sometimes different things. I remember Grant Hill, uh, his second season with us in Phoenix. Yeah, his second season, because that's when Terry Porter came on. Terry Porter wanted to start Matt Barnes at the three and bring Grant Hill off the bench. The idea is that, like, Grant, even at that age, is still, like, more versatile, can do more things than Matt Barnes. So Matt Barnes was better suited to be, you know, the fifth guy on the floor with right. Steve Nash, with Shaquille O'Neal, Lamar Stoudemire, et cetera, right? And we had to scrap it, like, two games in because what we found out was, despite Grant wanting to be a good teammate and wanting to do that, Grant had been accustomed to going through the warm-ups and being warm and breaking a sweat and then just going and playing. Now you're saying, Grant, do that. Now come sit down on the bench for six to seven minutes of game action, which is can be like 15 minutes long. He cools down. Now go back in there. And there's like, I'm going to get hurt because my body is shut down now. It's thought like, all right, we're done for the night. Mm. Mm. So he needed kind of like those rhythms of starting, not because of his like pride or ego, but because that was the best way to get something out of him, you know, at the start of each half. And, and so I think about that in the same sense I think about, you know, Russell Westbrook. I don't think Russell Westbrook was like, fuck, man. I need to have the ball in my hands so much. It's like, this shit is hard, man. I played my entire NBA career with the ball in my hands except for one half season or whatever it was in Houston. And we ditched that pretty quickly. And it's taken him out of a lot of his other game where it, like, I think his head is completely out of it. If he's not in that point guard mode, ball dominant mode, why not Russ just dominating the ball every chance he gets, gets the rebound, goes full court. No, he's got LeBron James now. And now in the, in the most recently, some of these jumpers that he's taking in these games, like, he had one air ball in the last game against Memphis that was pathetic. It was pathetic. It was like a pull-up 15-foot jumper, and it just had no air in it, and it was short. This other one where he tried to bank it off the backboard on the left wing, and it hit the top corner of the backboard, and it was just disgusting. It was awful. And I'm like, man, that is a guy who is lost, completely lost out there. And so – I guess this is all to say I don't know where the Lakers go from here because I I think maybe as we've we've talked about before preseason or the first game we did a post game I think he's got to come off the bench to get his mojo back I think he has to be moved to the second unit to get those rhythms back of being the number one guy in the offense Here's the problem right like part of what you have just described is not just a guy who's been put into situations that are not advantageous for him, thus accentuating kind of his weak points. I think a lot of it is, this is going to sound crazy. His confidence is shot, man. Totally. His confidence is shot. And so how do you save someone from that? You might say, oh, put him in the second unit and, you know, he gets to go crazy and the, the focal point and all that. That might sink him even further. Exactly. Like, hey, man, now you've been Benched, right? Like, like my man Coffee Brown from Semi Pro when he talks about Monix or whatever his name is, right? Like Woody Harrelson's character is like, I ain't gonna talk, take this shit from a champ. Came up the bench, like there's a, <laughs> a charge to that. Yeah. That if it's not explained to you in a way, I mean, think about even Andre Iguodala, who is like so high IQ and so I'll do anything for the team, and like everyone loves him. Yo, remember that first year they put him off the bench? Like, that motherfucker cut Steve Carras. Like, I'll do it. I'll try it. This shit better work. Mm-hmm. Like, even Andre Iguodala. And when he won. Carmelo Anthony's another example who's on the Lakers right now. Carmelo Anthony, like, I think we can all agree he's not, like, he isn't Andre Iguodala in terms of the selflessness and the whatever it takes, right? Like, at that point in his life. That point in his life, he's like, I'm Carmelo fucking Anthony. I'm one of the, like, the, you know, greatest players who've ever played this game. Yeah. Yeah. One of the 10 best pure scorers in the league. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Andre Iguodala, very different in that way, right? Andre Iguodala is like, yeah, man, like he never really wanted to be a star, a star. So it was an all, one-time all-star, but 
for the most of uh, his career has been like a character actor, right? <laughs> Pretty much. So, um, but even Andre Liddell was like, nah. And, and even after he did it and they won a championship and he won finals MVP. The next year he's coming off the bench, he's doing great. And people are talking about Andre Liddell should be sixth man of the year. And he was insulted by that. Mm-hmm. He was insulted that they would even consider him for that award. There's a, it still carries a stigma to it. And without like a very deft explanation of the situation, you might lose him or anger him or just not connect with him even worse. I think there's also part of it that they feel like they can't get back as a starter if they go to the second unit. Like that's it. Yeah. This is the point of no return for me. Once I'm labeled a sixth man of the year candidate, like Andre Godala was upset about that. Now I'm Vince Carter, right? Right. Jamal Crawford, this is me now. So I think that's also playing a factor here. It can be both, right? It can be, hey, man, this might be the best thing for us to win and for you to kind of find your mojo back. And also, this might be the flag that signifies the the beginning of the end for you. And it sucks, but that's life. Let's go down memory lane. Let's do a little history lesson in the NBA, man. This week, about 26 years ago, Boston's Dana Barros misses all nine of his three-point attempts during the Celtics' 105-92 loss to visiting New York, ending his NBA record streak of consecutive games with at least one three-pointer at 89. 89 was the record. Dana Barros with the Celtics, the legend, held the record for most consecutive games with at least one three-pointer made at 89 games. Currently, Steph Curry is... The streak is still alive. It's on fragile ground. It's on thin ice here. I mean, Stephen Curry in this monster slump, which we've talked about before on the on the sh- on the post game. Are you ready to consider it a slump with me now, or no? Are you still you still holding out? No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. One sixty one. Steph Curry's at one sixty one. He's already done this before. He's broken his own record of one fifty seven that he set in 2016, and now he's at 161 and counting. But who knows, by the looks of what he's doing lately, this might be in jeopardy. But I want to kind of peel back the layers even more here. Not the fact that Steph Curry's doubling the Dana Barros record. Who did Dana Barros break? Who's the record that he broke? I never considered like, oh yeah, Dana Barros, that makes sense that Dana got the record. Who did he break the record from in 1996? I mean... I thought it was Dennis Scott, but I think I'm wrong on this. It's not Dennis Scott. And it's a player that I think is one of the biggest one-hit wonders in NBA history. And I'd love to do a story about all the one-hit wonders of like, not a flash in the pan, but he had one great year. Like Mark Jackson from Mark with a C Jackson. Yeah. Who almost won rookie of the year and then was like out of the league in a couple of years. Would Jerome James be in this category if he showed out oh, for like yeah. a week and then he got the huge contract? In the playoffs, yeah. I'm talking about a guy who had an 11-year NBA career who was drafted in the third round by the Sacramento Kings in 1985. Played at BC, the pride of Hartford Public in Hartford, Connecticut. Shouts to Hartford the capital city of the great state of Connecticut. Michael Adams. Michael Adams. Michael Adams, all five foot ten of him. He, in 1989, starting in 1988 to 1989, he made a three-pointer in 79 straight games, which was the record in the NBA for seven years before Barrows broke it. And I'm saying to myself, Michael Adams, damn. I had no idea that he was that good. Well, it turns out, Dana Barrett, sorry, Michael Adams, one season with the Denver Nuggets in 1991 had 27 points per game and 11 assists. What? He had never averaged more than 18.5 points per game or never averaged six assists in his career before then. And then he averaged 26 points and 10 assists per game in 1991. That's got to be a Denver Nuggets special, right? The nuts, Michael Adams. Not only did he have the three-point records, the three-point streak in 1989, but in 1991, a couple years later, he went from averaging 15 and six for the Nuggets to averaging 26 and 10. I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm looking at their basketball reference page for the Nuggets that year. Michael Adam, 
Yeah. Basketball reference has this very neat thing on the desktop version where it's like a game results digest and red bars for losses, green bars for wins. And, uh, you know, the bigger the loss or the win, the, the larger the bar. And these motherfuckers, it's like stalactites. <laughs> it's fucking drip. It got blown out every fucking day. I like it. It's a golden eye when you get killed in golden eye 007. When the blood falls onto the screen. That's exactly what it looks like. They were first in pace that year. Would you care to posit a guess, if you haven't already looked it up, Tom, what their pace was? They were first in the league. This is in 91 you're talking about. 1990-91, yes. Okay. If you haven't listened to our segment last week about pace and how it's been steroids for triple doubles, go listen to that because it's very related to this point. All right, Denver Nuggets, I'm going to say 110 possessions per 48 minutes. That's very well done. That's very well done. That's close. Unfortunately, it's nowhere near correct. The the actual answer is 113.7. So damn near 114 (laughs) possessions a game. Now, here's the amazing part. No surprise here. They were 27th in defensive rating. 27th out of 27. They were also 21st in offensive rating. They were terrible at everything, ladies and gentlemen. They were terrible at literally everything. I'm looking at, I'm trying to figure out how many of these losses were not blowouts. Close losses. They had no close losses. 113.7 pace. The second fastest team was 103.6. 10 possessions fewer. The fastest team, not the Denver Nuggets, was 10 possessions slower. Disgusting. That's insane. That's insane. That that is a record. Can, can, do you think there's ever been a team like I'm, I don't think we can go further down this rabbit hole as we are right now talking about Michael Adams, the '91 Nuggets. It's gross, is what it is. They play <laughs> Michael Adams, Orlando Woolridge. He had some really good years, so it's not that that crazy. But Michael Adams, age 28, season 26.5 points per game, 10 and a half assists. The dude shot 39 percent from the floor. And 29% from three. So not the best three-point shooter despite having the consecutive. He was more of a volume shooter, more prolific. But man, that's crazy. So the next season, he was an all-star for the Bullets, which is quite the plot twist. He wasn't an all-star in the 91 season. He shot 29% from the field. Well, from three. (laughs) Oh, whatever. He's not bad. He was bad. Wait, what justified him being an all-star in 92 rather than in 91? He had the same exact stat line, the percentages-wise, but he shot eight points per game worse. Like, his scoring went from 26 to 18. It's real easy. What what was the the Bullets record? 25 and 57. (laughs) What? Was this, like, the biggest mea culpa by the media? Like, dude, he averaged 26 and 10 and we left him off the all-star team. We gotta throw him in this year. Win loss record in games decided by ten or more points for the Denver Nuggets. They lost sixty two games, right? They were six and forty three in games of ten or more points as the margin. Six and forty three, meaning forty three out of their sixty two losses was technically a blowout. Sixty nine percent of their losses were blowouts. Nice. <laughs> nice. Games decided by three or fewer points. How many do you think they had? And how many do you think? What do you think their record? Oh, they were they okay. They had five. I'm guessing they had five games decided by one possession. Uh huh. And they were five and zero. They're five and zero. Sorry, four and one. (laughs) Yeah, four and one. Get it close, and Michael Adams will bring it home. Yeah, Michael Adams. I wonder what is the biggest gap from your highest scoring season, full season. Your career high scoring season and your second highest. This dude was 26 and a half points per game, and then his second year was 18 and a half. That'd be a great research project. Who has had the biggest outlier scoring season? Oh, but it has to be like once, right? It's the difference between your best scoring season and your next best scoring season. Oh, okay. He has eight points. We don't remember the one hit wonders as well as we remember like the guys who broke out, right? So Michael Red. You know what? That's a great example. I was thinking of the same thing. But Michael Red had like multiple seasons of scoring 20 plus points a game. That's the problem. 
All right. What about Stackhouse? I feel like Stackhouse. No, Stackhouse had multiple seasons. Danny Granger was another name I thought Ooh, of. Stackhouse is close. His best is 29.8. And his next best is 23.6 for a difference of 5.8. Mays got it. I remember that. That's a good one. Mike James. Amityville Horror. <laughs> Bernie Lee's guy. It's 7.9. I think Michael Adams still has him, right? Yep. But that's close. That's the closest. That's thing. very close. Yeah. All right, so the listeners out there, I want you to find me who outdid Michael Adams' best Michael Adams impression. Who has the highest gap between their best scoring season and their second best scoring season? Also, full circle, Dana Barros, highest 20.6, next highest 13.3. So he's in the range as well at 7.3. Oh, he's in the conversation. Wow. Thank he's you, Mays. He's in the conversation. He's in the conversation. By the way, I mean... Last thing here, did Steph Curry get too drunk? And what did he get too drunk of at the bar of the MVP conversation? It's this IPA called Records. He got a <laughs> little too drunk on on some records. Record Sato, maybe too many shots of Record Sato. Oh, I got it. Guinness. Oh, yeah. Well, the Guinness Book of World Records. He drank too much Guinness at the MVP bar. That's too perfect to me. Maze, come on. I kind of like Record Sato better because like tequila shots are much faster at getting you fucked up. Yeah, he's drinking too much Record Sato. Maze, is Record Sato or Guinness Steph Curry at the MVP bar? Record Sato is getting you drunk faster. Yeah, but I feel like, okay, fine. I concede. Wordplay. <laughs> That's a wrap. Shout out to Damian Lillard, maybe out for the year. Totally drunk. Did I say that on the radio? <laughs> You didn't say that here. <laughs> no, you didn't. Sit on the radio.